Hope. Everybody say hope. I want you to just let it instill and then get embedded in your system because it's anchoring. It's, it's a core value, a central component of the culture of the kingdom. I just talked to a couple of folks who speak Spanish and they have certain distinctives in their culture. In Mexico, differing from Brazil or differing from, they speak Portuguese. Then in, in Colombia, differing from other nations. I've had the privilege of traveling and meeting people from Iceland had such a distinctive about them, people from Sweden and so forth. And I've also enjoyed interaction with people whose citizenship is heaven. And it transcends the national or the ethnic background. And it goes into a different category. Jesus called us to adoption and to be invited and included into a citizenship being in heaven. Paul the Apostle said he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Benjamite Jew. That was his tribe. That was his uh, religion and his, his ethnicity. Then he was also a Roman citizen. So that was his national identity. But yet he said, you know, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things pass away and all things become new. And he said, we who were once not a people are now the people of God. So there's a Galilean accent. There's a similarity that comes, it strikes, a family resemblance. Man, I've run into it, and maybe you have too, where you go out and you're, you're interacting with people in the community or society and even in other places, and people say, do I know you? I, you know, seem familiar. And it's like you, you end up boiling it down to, are you a Christian? Yeah, so am I. And it's that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's that it's Peter and John were uh, walking along in the beginning of the church, and the people said, you know, they're not, they're not learned scholarly theologians. They haven't been able to spend a lot of time at the temple. They've been out there uh, working. In, the, in, those case, in their case, they were fishermen from Galilee. They, could, they were unlearned men, but they could tell they had been with Jesus. Hallelujah. I was on an air flight, and I saw a young woman. Her nationality happened to be Filipino. And she uh, was helping an elderly lady... Uh, with the flight attendant to get her to have early boarding. And I just watched her manner. I was just standing there, you know, waiting in line so that I could hurry up and wait, you know, that kind of thing. But I watched this, and I just thought, I watched the care and her body language, her manner. And then we flew on the flight, and then we landed, and we ended up being outside the plane. And Patsy and I came out, and I said, I just began to, I said, you know, I just appreciated your kindness. Was that a relative? Oh, no, it's not. I just was... I just wanted to make sure she got on the plane, and I could tell she was needing a little bit of extra time. I said, wow, that, she said, do I know you? I said, well, uh, I, I don't know. You know, she was from the town we came from, and I was from here, you know. So, no, that's not it. And then one thing led to another. She's a ripping believer. I'm a believer. So our family resemblance kicked in. It was a, it was a holy moment. You know, a four-hour flight and tiredness, and your legs feel like you tied them up as a pretzel, and, you know, and then you come out, and you're just, you know, you're decompressed, and you ever notice your water bottle when you get on an airplane, and you, you, you put the bottle top on, and then it sucks in? That's what your body's doing. That's why it feels weird. That's why, aren't you glad we're not flying right now? I pray protection on you when you do fly, and I pray that God will use you, and I commended that lady because we're to consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. I wasn't flattering her. I wasn't, you know, making a big deal of it. But I just wanted to let her know, hey, that was awesome. And uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 is my, my text I want to start out with. 
in this discussion about hope. Paul the Apostle said, let us not lose heart or grow weary or become faint in doing the right thing and doing good and follow through and consistency and perseverance and steadfastness and faithfulness. Let us not lose heart in doing good. Why? For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For Paul to say that implies it can happen. The Moffat translation, I like uh, the different English translations. Never let us grow tired of doing what is right. Never let us grow tired of doing what is right. For if we do not faint, we shall reap our harvest at the opportune season. I thought about farming, and I think about the blessing we've had of being in this valley. You know, we started out, what we have the distinction of having started out in Gumbo Flats, and now we're in posh Chesterfield Valley. What happened? Just time changed things, you know, and here we are in development, and the farm field that has been tilled and plowed, we used to call it the bean field. And they'd grow beans, or they'd grow corn, or they'd, they'd grow beautiful crops, and I noticed the farmer, he would work the field, he would plow, he would prepare the soil, then he would, he tilled it a couple of times and got it just right, and then he came out with, and planted seed, and then uh, took his tractor back to the, the barn and waited for the crop. I watched him harvest it in one day, in less than one day. So 365 days of the year, there's this moment of harvest that this farmer, thinks about and calibrates for and prepares for and lives for all the way around. And so if we're going to be wise farmers in life and have an expectation, we have to have a realistic expectation that it's not instantaneous. Even fasting and prayer, I noticed, when I sow in fasting and prayer, I'll go away and fast and pray. And personally, in the first few years of fasting and prayer, I kept wanting to have a visitation of Jesus or some kind of thunderous thing. And I would usually just be tired and hungry. I would fast and pray, and I'd lay out all my stuff, and I, I, I usually left that environment not feeling much different than I did when I started, except hungrier and t more tired. But inevitably, days or weeks or months later, I would experience breakthrough. As the seed was sown, and then it germinated, and it grew, it sprouted, and eventually it produced a crop. So we have confidence that as we keep doing the right thing, we keep loving, we keep forgiving, we keep serving, we keep at this thing. We stay in the word. We continue to offer up the sacrifice of praise. We pray without ceasing. We continue to trust God. We keep Jesus' name on our lips and keep him close in our heart, keep him foremost in our thinking, and we fend off lesser things uh, that inevitably and eventually at the fullness of the times in due season, everybody say due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Now the lion's share of our inheritance is on the other side. There's going to be a great result Generally, this is the sowing time. That will be the reaping time. But in this life, all the stories I read in the Bible are people who experience breakthrough. Yet in Hebrews 11, it says they even died in faith, and some of the things they believed God for were still uh, working. And it just shows me that we've got to live a life of faith all the way through fervently to the end, right? And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and hope is a confident expectation. Hope is, God, I'm going to trust you in these situations. I was studying about fellow Missourian, President Harry Truman. Harry S. Truman was the president in the 40s to the 1953. 
He was a president uh, during wartime with Japan and then with Korea. There were amazing party politics, conflicts, and issues, ideological clashes. There were there was wartime economy, then there was, they were trying to restore, there was the Marshall Plan in Europe. And so I was reading about this yesterday, and it looked very similar to what we're having today in terms of the climate and the attitude and the fears and the concerns, the pressures in the nations, wars and rumors of wars, uh, issues all around and trouble, troubled times. This was fully a few years before I was born. So people lived out those moments, and they survived. Things got encouraging, so they had a baby boom. And I'm really glad, because I'm a baby boomer. So here we come, and then now we're in this moment. And we, we've got to, instead of wringing our hands with anxiety and anxiously looking about us, this is our moment to get our eyes fixed on how faithful, how complete, how awesome God is. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns in heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. And he's faithful to a thousand generations. And so the church of the 40s and 50s stuck to this, held to this, and believed God for this. The church of 2019 will do the same. And it's up to us as individuals to stagger not at the promises of God, but grow strong in faith, getting secure and firm in our convictions, and having done all to stand, we stand. And do not underestimate the value of each one of our parts. We're a chain. The church is like a chain. And we're links. And we are strengthened with might and power by his spirit. And we're interlinked on the conviction that God's going to see us through. And we're going to trust God. How many of you want to see other people in this room experience breakthrough? In the last service, there's a woman whose 49-year-old husband just passed. She needed encouragement. There's a man here whose father just passed. He needs to be supported. They're people that have had alarming symptoms. They need to know there are people around them that get it and are trusting God for healing and are going to stand with you so you live the extras of your days and you live the fullness of your days. And I go to a church where the pastor got in a boating accident, got lost at sea. I go to a church where the church flooded. And when the enemy came in like a flood, God raised a standard against him. People have been through disappointments and heartache, self-inflicted misery, and have gone back to the Lord, the shepherd and guardian of our souls, who is faithful. He is faithful. Don't be overwhelmed with the weirdness of the world. Get underwhelmed with the devil and get excited about how good God is. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. A merry heart has a continual feast. A merry heart does good like a medicine. A merry heart makes a cheerful face. This joy never goes away. Phillips, J.B. Phillips, he said, Let us not grow tired of doing good, for unless we throw in our hand, the ultimate harvest is assured. And let us not get tired, the living Bible says, of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing." If we don't get discouraged and we don't give up, everybody say amen. Amen. So that's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes. God is a buoyant, joyous hearted, confident, amazing being. He has no worry or stress about him. He sits in heaven and laughs. He rejoices over us with singing. 
Nothing destabilizes him because his permanence and his depth is unshakable. And we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Jesus is the cornerstone, the solid rock. He's anchoring, and we can trust him. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verse 19 and 20, talks about this hope as an anchor for our souls. I don't know about you, but my soul, my mind, my emotions, my will, my thinking faculties get tossed and bashed and attacked relentlessly. But it says in Hebrews 6, 19, that we have this hope, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a, a, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. Now, what does that mean? That means that there was a veil in the temple that separated holy God from sinful humanity, and it was about four inches thick. It was huge. It was embroidered. It took years to make, and it was fantastic, and it signified the sin that separates and how we don't have the privilege of entrance. Only the high priest did on a technical basis, only year after year, once in a year, and it was very, very technical. Now, Jesus, when he said, it is finished on the cross, and he paid the penalty for humanity, and he died for us so we could have this outpouring of blessing. The Bible says that when he breathed his last, the veil in the temple ripped from top to the bottom. This is very significant. We must grasp this because these things that were written in earlier times were written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Somebody in here has been very depressed and God's gonna nudge you out of that situation. You've been in it before. People have said to you, you're depressive. J.B. Phillips had a clinical depression level, an Anglican minister in Britain who wrote the amazing J.B. Phillips' Bible, Your God is Too Small. He wrote many wonderful books. It was a very great author, significant. And he wrote it out of his troubles and his hardships. God, I've heard it said, rarely extracts healers from the ranks of the unscarred. Everybody in here has been through something. Everybody in here has inherited something, has done something, has failed, and the world is fractured. And yet we rally around this amazing solution. God has solutions for every problem we'll ever face. With every, no temptation has, has overtaken you or seized you that is, is uncommon to people. It's common to everybody. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will provide a way out, a way of escape, so that you can stand up under it. Having done all to stand, we stand. So we have this hope as the anchor for our soul. And it's firm and it's secure. Look what it says. It says steadfast and sure. We have this hope as the anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast. Everybody say sure. You know, Patsy will ask me, hey, can you do this? Sure. That means I'm going to do it. And what is steadfastness? Well, I looked it up. It's firmly fixed. How many of you like to be firmly fixed? <laughs> In place. Not subject to change, firm in belief, determination, or adherence. Well, so we stand. The devil will try to lie because he's the father of lies. He's been a devil longer than you and I have been humans. He is the father of lies, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, though, listen, I came to give abundant life. So here we are. Students, I pray you do great in school. I pray that you get helped in your study habits. I bind distraction over you. 
And I pray you prepare for what God has for you in the workplace. I pray you get really skilled and get fantastic jobs. I pray, young families, you're able to train your kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You guys that have been through divorces, I pray you get healed, and I pray you even have some sort of decent resolve with your ex, the parents of the kids and so forth that is covered by the blood of Jesus. You guys that have had trouble at work, I pray you would be surrounded with favor, favor as a shield. You guys that grew up in dysfunction, I pray that over time and process, you experience such change that you look, you can't even remember some of the garbage that you came out of, except only so as to be a testimony of how God brought you through. I pray those of you that have been bombarded with numbness in your mind, God quickens you and gives you a sharpness. I pray a spirit of wisdom and revelation would come in here. The person that just doesn't feel spiritual right now, I pray God fans the flame in your life and brings you back into restoration. Amen? And, uh, you know, you might have an alarming symptom in your body. You don't know what to do with it. Man, I, first of all, advise you as your pastor, fax or friends, go get a test and find out what you're dealing with. Don't get in avoidance or denial. Find out what you're dealing with. Then you'll know what to stand against and what to believe God for and what to stand for. Is that okay? If you're in fear, like if you find out what it is and they name it, that you're going to be all freaked out, well... Just, it's good to know what the mountain is. So you can, I mean, Sir Edmund Hillary knew he wanted to climb Mount Everest. So it was, that was the name of it. That's the one he climbed, right? So you know what you're dealing with, and only 40 of you or 30 of you have conquered cancer, and you found that Jesus' name is above cancer. You found out that Jesus is the Lord that heals you. A man in the last service, he said he had a heart condition, and then he also had cancer. He said he got saved in 94. He got baptized in there in 1998. He's been here ever since. He's now in his 70s, and he's just, he's just beaming. He's just on fire. And he shared a great testimony with me. And uh, I, I pray whatever your deal is right now, that eventually it's going to be your story, that you're going to be able to say, let me tell you what God brought me through. Where your test becomes your testimony. Your mess becomes your message. You're sharing about how good God is, what he brought you through, what weirdness you came out of when you were a kid. Wow. Some of you kids have not told that you're battling a lot of stuff in your thought life. I get it. Every one of us has been a kid at some point. King David said, I was young, I was a kid. Now I'm not a kid, I'm older. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. He said, he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Get a hold of that. The devil will try to lie to you. He did that with Eve and with Adam right at the beginning in Genesis 3. That's just what he does. But we gotta just get in the scriptures and not grow weary in well-doing so we can just stick around long enough to see the breakthrough. So many spies were sent to the promised land, Numbers chapter 13, but only two of them went the distance and it was because they embraced the good report. It wasn't because they were superheroes. It, it, they, they sought the Lord their God fully. They said, as for me and my house, I'm gonna serve the Lord. They understood something about the joy of the Lord, the hope. They understood. They said, man, remember the word the Lord spoke to me, you and me, through the, Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, uh, concerning us? That's what we held to through the course of all the giants and all the, the monstrous situations. As I was reading about 
President Truman, and I was looking at a quarter of a million Chinese troops trying to stop the soldiers from going past the 38th parallel, and that's why Korea is the way it is right now. And yet, he had to keep providing leadership. There was so much hostility in the country, and that's why we need to pray for those in authority over us. It transcends our party interests. It's a thing of God. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. So whether I voted for him or not, they're my leaders right now. And as a Christian, I'm mandated to pray for them, for wisdom, for help, for the right people to be around them, for good decisions to be made, so that we may lead a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. I was in Germany in the 70s talking to a former Nazi soldier who was so broken with grief in the Marienplatz in Munich, Germany, that he couldn't get over his own grief and shame from what he did in the, in the military. And I'm a young man standing there, a young newly married man standing there on a mission trip with a man who is has diminished and who has been in a heinous situation and feels the guilt of sin, trying to explain to him that Jesus died for you too, sir. Jesus died for you too, sir. This is different and it's higher and it's better than anything humanity could ever generate. The goodness of God is far greater than all the problems of humanity. And man, we will by this fight the good fight. God is our sufficiency. He's able to make all grace abound toward us. Every favor and earthly blessing come to us in abundance so that we will have everything we need We will abound in every good work. I don't apologize for this. That's what the scripture said. I didn't didn't make that up. I didn't cut and paste that. That's in context, and it's actually very repetitive throughout the Old and New Testament. The faithfulness of God keeps going and going and going and going. All this stuff was written for us in earlier times, so when we come along and we get this book, We could pick it up or we could download it or podcast it or whatever we want to do or or get an audio book and listen to it. And faith comes by hearing the word. Look what it says. Romans chapter 13, verse 4. The things that were written in earlier times were written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures. What? We're going to be religious? We're going to be somber? We're going to do a bunch of religious routine? No, that we might have hope. Look what it says. These things were written in earlier times for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. For whatever was written in earlier times, let's read this out loud. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. William Carey was the father of modern missions, and yet he was born in 1761. He died in 1834. Englishman that went into the far reaches at at the time, he got on a clipper ship and he went to India. He translated the Bible in about five languages, including Hindi, which much of India speaks. It's one of the biggest, most populated people groups on the planet. And he sowed his life over time, he said a couple of things. He said, I can plod. I could plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. Just plodding. Some of you don't get reinforcement for perseverance, but it's, it's all written through there. 
It's through faith and patience we inherit the promises. The sower and the reaper can rejoice together. Some of you have sown in tears, you will reap with joy. That the sower and the reaper will rejoice together. So in fact, you could actually be this one and the same. He said this, William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Here's what he said. I have God and his word is sure. I have God and his word is sure. And though the superstition of the heathen were a million times worse than they are, if I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my hope fixed on that sure word would rise superior to all obstructions. I shall come out of all trials as gold purified by fire. In Jesus' name, amen? So, the word persevere, it means we keep pressing on, trusting God, looking up, maintaining our joy, staying hopeful, staying faith-filled, staying obedient, doing our duty, not growing weary in well-doing, even through severe circumstances. Hear the word of the Lord. This hope is an anchor for our souls. We're going to finish with Psalm 42. The question is asked and the answer is given. I remember I had teachers, a couple of teachers through my school years, and they would give out, some of the teachers, the average ones would give out uh, study sheets. But I had teachers that would come out and they would print it in black and then they'd print the answers for the, and they would say, this isn't a practice sheet. No, this is the pop quiz, kids. And they weren't cutting corners. It was a teaching style. And in fact, the teachers really were wanting us to grasp the material, and this was the way they did it. This is actually, in fact, the way God does, does it. He lays it out. We've got an we've open book test. An open book test is where you get to read and look at it and reference it. It's, it's awesome. This isn't like double jeopardy where it's like, wow, you know, you, you got a little window in the button, and, you know, that's a defective button. No, God, he gives us answers. He says, behold, I set before you life and death the blessing and the curse. Then the master teacher of heaven goes, hey, choose life. Check the box that says choose life so that you and your descendants may live. I think about my very existence, given the fact that in the early 80s, my mother explained to me that a brief marriage with a young couple, biological father, mother, that he, ought, he brought in a man twice to try to have, give my mother an abortion, which failed. And she told me that in a moment of shame. And I was like, my reaction was, oh my goodness, this is an amazing testimony. Because I made it. It's like I didn't go into some sort of resentment or anything. I'd been praying for my biological father that I would get to meet him before he died and that he'd be saved. So I got to meet him before he died, five months before he died. And he, guess what? He was saved. He was a head usher of a Baptist church and he experienced the healing touch of God in his life. That's living the dream, guys. My mother's deathbed, she said, are you resentful toward him? No, I'm not. I'm just grateful that you guys chose life. She chose life. She resisted it, and she decided not to try it the third time. So as hard as our relationship was, I'm very grateful for that. So that's when you think, oh, look at Pastor Jeff's grandpa. He has these little grandbabies. That's what goes on in my mind in order that you and your dis choose life so that you and your descendants may live. So when I see these little babies and how wonderful and sweet they are, and I get all the joy of it, and I watch Grandma go buy them all this stuff, so I got to go get more Play-Doh. 
I get it now. It's like, I'll drive you up there. I'm not going in. Because like milk and bread, they put the Play-Doh all the way in the back. And they design it. As soon as you pop it open, it's going to get stale. So you got to go buy more Play-Doh. And they have it all packaged for grandmas to capture their eyes and buy them Play-Doh by the tons. I suppose my grandkids will have had 2,400, 2,500 pounds of Play-Doh pass through their hands by the time they're five. No, I think about holding them, I think, did you do that, God, for me? Did you do that for them? Man, the man, she explained, that came to the house, put her in a bathtub, tried to abort me, and I think, wow, wow. And I wasn't there. I mean, I was there, but I wasn't, like, aware of it. So she tra was traumatized by it. And I think about that. It made me think in retrospect. And it might have been why she was, was rough in spots. You start to mature a little bit. You get less condescending and critical. You start to realize, wow, that had to be tough for her. It had to be tough for her. Psalm 42. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. This is my message today, guys. And when I was reading about President Truman and the trouble, they tried to impeach him. The opposing party was battling him. He had all kinds of decisions he had to make. He went through workers and staff. He had all kinds of challenges. It was not dissimilar to our era now. So many different overlays that just looked like, wow, nothing's really new under the sun. But my predecessors who prayed me into the kingdom and prayed for a culture and for a generation to come forth, I owe it to them, the prayer people, the grandparents who prayed before I was even born. Thank you, Jesus. So here we are. What is our deal? Not to grow weary in doing good. Fight the good fight of faith. Keep believing that God's going to see you through every step of the way. Cast down all the lies of the devil. Go to the word until you get it sorted out in your head. Read it in context. Work it out. Trust the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what it's saying. Why are you in despair, O my soul? This is like an open book test. Here's the question. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Answer, hope in God. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. You know, the teachers that spoon-fed me the answers to the questions of the pop quiz, you would think it was enabling and it was lazy learning, but in fact, I understood what I got from it was that teacher actually does want me to get this material. And this teacher isn't just making it lazy so they have an easier time grading tests and they have better performance scores and they look better in the break room or with the principal. No, these teachers were some of the teachers that stood out that I could tell wanted me to succeed in life and valued me as a learner. And they didn't have teachers' pets, favorites. They were trying to help all of us. And I appreciated that they entered into the profession of education because I could tell their sincerity. Thank God for that. And you remember some teachers that were like that? Thank God for it. Jesus wants us to get this. The Old Testament writer here, the sons of Korah, this is the song of Korah. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Why so downcast, O my soul? For I shall again praise him. See, I'm doing it right now. For the help of his presence. He says, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you. That's what some of you are doing right now, today the harshness of your circumstances. Some of you are doing pretty good. Some of you are on the sunny side of it. Some of you, by personality, you just kind of have a tendency toward joy. 
Some of you are in a battle. And uh, this will help you. You put your hope in God. God is good. And his mercy endures forever. <laughs> I'm glad I came to church just to hear that. So if, as if you didn't get it, let's, let's stand up and let's read verse 11. Look at, look at what it says here. Psalm 42, 11. He reiterates the question. Psalm 42, 5, and then Psalm 42, 11. Sound familiar? Look, he asks again, Why are you dis in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Look, the help of my countenance and my God. I want you to put your hands on your heart. And I just pray the strength and healing love of God would pour into each one of us. And that despair would be driven out. Particularly with those who have become so in despair. But I'm going to pray for you. That you will be strengthened and fortified and helped to live out the duration of your life. Don't give up. Don't quit. Uh, don't grow weary in well-doing, please. Don't, don't Just find a hurt and heal it. Find a need and fulfill it. Find an area to serve and serve with all your heart. He that refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You can do it. In fact, those of you that are down, you have an acute awareness of what that feels like. So I just pray God would use you as an ambassador and you'd find somebody that's in the pit and you'd be able to minister. You qualify. You have street cred because of this, the situation you're in. God will use you to help these situations in a very special way. This is, in fact, the outcome. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. Down in your inner man, in your soul, even quickening and strengthening and giving life to your body, refreshing you so that you can bless others. Fill you with all joy and peace and believing so you can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is my help. He is the help of our countenance. Put your hands up on your face. God, I pray you make your face shine upon each one of these guys. And in a merry and glad heart, as they travel, as they train, as they work, as they labor, as they deal with issues, that you be the glory and the lifter of their heads. Take your face and just kind of push it up a little bit, just toward the Lord. Now just lift up your hands toward heaven. Lift up the hands that hang down. Strengthen the feeble knee so it's not knocked out of joint, but it's healed. And I proclaim strength, healing, and joy in each person's mindset, each person's decision-making, career track, all the things you've called us to do, Lord. God, we shall by all means possess the land in the mighty name of Jesus. Say this with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen.